ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, one and all rule of carnage folks. Um, I have a lovely daddy elf cup of coffee. Uh, Glenn has been uh, warming his snowballs up over a roasting fire. And uh, we thought, well, Glenn suggested and I agreed uh, that we'd maybe just have a little kickback and uh, retrospect on our year of gaming. Uh, have a little think about the things we played, what we liked, uh, what we took away from it. Um, Glenn and I have both been working on quite a lot of games this year, so we'll probably talk about some of our own stuff because that's what we do here to continue to promote our own selves. Uh, but yeah, we also played quite a lot of other stuff. Uh, I've got a list here of things that's reasonably decent. Uh, much better than last year, actually. I think I played a much broader gamut of things. Um, yeah, Glenn, do you want to cast your mind back to the snowy wasteland of January, February 2023? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, for uh, so we'll start sort of talking about tabletop. Well, well tabletop minis games that we've played. Yeah, I've got mostly minis games. There's a couple of other... <laughs> class of things on this list but yeah yeah i mean um well i'll i'll start with one of the ones that we've probably spoken about plenty on the channel but it's one of uh the the small handful of games i really enjoyed um that, that i haven't come across before this year uh and i'll and I'll, that'll be uh mars code aurora oh yeah um which you know we've we we've played i i've sort of knocked around on my own uh a, a few times just Really lovely um, sci-fi minis agnostic game. One of my favourite rules uh, that we've mentioned a few times, the, the rule that allows you to do anything if you're willing to negotiate with the other player. Um, really lovely sort of um, objective-driven gameplay and uh, the, the sort of the zoning of the uh, sort of null zones from these sort of patrolling robots, just full of like very interesting ideas, really elegantly implemented. It's genuinely one of those ones where I picked it up, not expecting a huge amount, tiny little thin rule book, and everything it did just made me very happy. And I was just delighted with the whole with the whole package. So that was that was a, a highlight of yeah yeah i'll agree with that i've um yeah i've got a lot of juice out of that uh uh design it's really really interesting yeah we should play some more of that uh in 24 absolutely so um yeah so on a on a sci-fi on a sci-fi uh theme then i think probably starting at the beginning of the year but probably the thing i've played the most this year is uh a thing that doesn't that you can't have uh called that has a proper name that's Malleus Maleficarum, which is the name of an old textbook called The Hammer of Witches, which yes. is like a 1700s witch-finding manual. Uh, but that's my code word for, uh, my code name for my homebrew Inquisifo rules, where oh, we yeah. took... We took Malifaux. I took Malifaux and I and I and I boiled down all of the character cards to their constituent actions, and then made them a palette of things that you could build uh, your own custom models out of. So it sort of takes the the <clears throat> kit bashing of 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 in well of Ink Twenty Eight more than even Inquisitor, and the sort of five dudes versus five dudes. And because I've been playing it with uh, our um, our very imaginative friend Rufus, like he and I were always set up with by flipping out the the strategy and the scheme and then trying to explain what's going on and why each of the gangs is there and stuff. Um, and I've hacked that system quite a lot over the last year. And it's been both 
So we talked a little bit, we've talked a bunch of times actually about how a really good way to practice design is to is the house rule things. And so this is very much like in the direction of a design that I am sort of hypothetically working on. There's a lot more, there's a lot like, it will be a very different game out the other side, but like, it's been really fun to futz around in somebody else's system, particularly one as as um, robust as the Malifaux engine. So yeah, that's the most, I've, I've done a lot of that this year and paint a lot of models for it. When you, when you say you're sort of, you know, oh, other people aren't going to get to have it, is it, you know, and you just put a lot of energy into it, is it because it's so grounded in somebody else's system or? Is yeah, because it... it's it's basically house rules for somebody else's system. Um, but I think it's more because like the work that I'm doing, like every time I do a, a change to it, it gets further away from the source material and I'm more and more happy of it as like a prototype for something that I want to be making anyway. Um, so, yeah. That's an in interesting uh, sort of design approach. I tend to sort of come at things with big ideas rather than like fill other other people's stuff. I, yeah, I normally do as well. Um, but in this case, it's allowing me because like a, a complicated, wide open skirmish game is quite a big thing to address. What well, can be quite a big. I mean, it depends on how, how big you go. But like, I want this to be very, very. Catholic with a little c in its ability to describe models and scenarios and so worrying about whether or not I can write a build your own faction build your own models type system with enough juice in there that it's not just like obviously min maxing its way to a couple of optimal points like that is a fun enough challenge that like what the skirmish rules are you know whatever they could be kind of could be anything cool um, so the other um, game that I really enjoyed playing that we've we've played a few times with video playing and f friends of the channel will be aware of was uh, Torch and Shield. Mm -hmm. um, again, Talky goodness. Yes, again, you know, uh, something that I, I'm I don't have a problem with grid based games. I don't necessarily have good advice for designing grid based games, um, uh, but I did sort of look at it and go like. Okay, I'm not sure how this is going to work. You, you know, it, it is grid based. You've got to sort of have a bit of a faff of setup and whatever. Um, and it was surprisingly flexible, uh, genuinely tactically enjoyable. Told a really great story. And yeah, I think you know we played it a few times. I've, I've, it's one of the few things I've made the effort to play solo um, a bit actually because it does sort of cut. It can carry a story, and you can carry it as a solo game um so that that was really nice i don't have i don't do a lot of i don't i don't think i've ever really done um uh solos miniatures gaming other than like when play testing mm. um and so like uh whereas i do do a reasonable amount of solo tabletop board gaming card gaming generally mm. um so it's quite mm -hmm. nice to have something like torch and shield pop up and go like okay well if I do have that sort of itch to scratch for solo gaming and miniatures gaming at the same time, here's a way of doing it. And here's a good reason to to pull out my ancient and battered um, hero quest box and uh, get the board onto the table, duct tape together. Yeah, that I mean that I think is one of the things that's really charming about it is it's got a it's got a funny little alchemy of old Warhammer quests, um, Blood Bowl. And I guess to to um, to transition into another of the things that I've played, um, 
uh, middle of Stra- Lord of the Rings strategy battle game. And I didn't I didn't know any of that. And the first time we played it and when we videoed it, because um, to to jump around the year a bit, like the last thing that I've played is my first um, game of middle Earth strategy battle game, uh, which is just like a, like a big sort of third of the GW gaming estate that I've just never interacted with. I, I, I wasn't in the hobby uh when it came out was my like out of the hobby time pretty much and so i never got into the game and yeah it was super interesting because a lot of the heritage in the way that engagement works the way that combat works the way that dice rolls work suddenly i was like oh okay yeah like torch and shield is is designed by a designer who's very rooted in that game system like some of those conventions are very natural to that designer and they seemed surprising and new to me because i just hadn't hadn't plowed that and and i'm not sure what the metaphor is but i wasn't familiar with that sort of with that game yeah that was that was fun and i'm looking forward to playing more of that game the current edition seems very tidy um i have no idea how engagement and pairing up in combat is supposed to work um, but I, that feels like I'll just go down the club and I'll get some of the guys that play uh, Middle Earth to like, I'll show them a couple of chess problems with like, what if I push this guy back and this guy hasn't was only supporting and he hasn't actually had an attack yet. And like, what happens now? And, you know, there's some density that I need to get some more experienced players to unpack for me. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I do think that, uh, the, you know, what was Lord of the Rings and is, yes, now the, the Middle Earth um, strategy battle game probably one of the one of the best things that gw have put out and and have sort of regularly supported for quite some time um i certainly rate it above either of the the other two you know 40k and age of sigmar and even when it was warhammer fantasy battle i think it was a better game than warhammer fantasy battle as well um heresy i mean it's just it's it, it, it it's a thing that feels like has just been thought about um well, so then that's an interesting question then why didn't you play t- t- you know 15 years of solid lord of the rings i mean well because lord of the rings was just harder to find people to play i mean i played ah, a right. great deal of lord of the rings um from one from once i picked it up like and i picked it up late at club mm. um and then once people were playing it i i almost always had lord of the rings force with me like anytime i'd go to club mm. it just wasn't necessarily and um and I think also because around the time I started playing that, people were starting to get more interested in things like saga, um, you know, uh test of honor, generally sort of more wider independent. That was an interesting time post fantasy battles demise. Because re- around our Canterbury Club, we had a we had a big solid fantasy battle crew. And actually going back to the club this year, which is something that I've finally been able to do after a few years of um being away it's really interesting to see how many people are playing sixth edition uh back at the club how many people are playing ninth age and it's fun because i'm kind of coming in with hobgoblin go do you want to try hobgoblin and they're like yeah we tried it during the play testing when it was super broken <laughs> fool us once that was that was a good long time ago yeah yeah um so um are there any other games that are new to you uh that you've read or played that you well yeah so speaking of the club one of the things i did the most down the club was um uh one of our fellows um is quite a big proponent of the elder scrolls call to arms game um and i saw that he was doing a demo game so i've i, I kind of clicked into a couple of demo games of that Re- really enjoyed it it's a um it's a mark latham system i think 
and it's incredibly deep and dense. The core mechanics are quite simple, um, but then there's tons and tons and tons of chrome piled on top of it, um, which I think is mostly good because you tend to be dealing with just a you know very small number of models, two, three, four guys in your crew. And then there's loads of like NPCs and there's just a billion different like victory point things. And so whether wisely or not, we were playing a four player versus game and the second time we played it there was four persons and a load of like villages in the middle but yeah like it does a lot of it does a lot of narrative skirmishy things you can do lots of stuff in it monsters keep turning up i mean i think i genuinely enjoyed it the most because both times we were playing we were playing with three and then four players and we had a gm who knew the rules and that's also the first time i've ever played a gm'd miniatures game uh so that's a that's a first for me so that's cool. I, I'd originally bought Call to Arms ages ago when it first came out because it had a solo delve mode um, and I'd never got it to the table, so I'd never learned the rules. And now I've had a chance to get it demoed. At least I know the rules and I can pop it open for a solo play when necessary. So, yeah, that's Call to Arms. I think it's about to get a second edition of the rulebook or maybe just did. Yeah, I don't know. I've got a digital version of it somewhere. And I don't know. I... The digital edition's no good because it's just a like it's a wash with cards. Yeah, well, the, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. It's like I, I, I feel my. I don't know if it's as I'm getting older, but just systems that that work by virtue of how much like Chrome is stacked up on the on the core system, I have less and less and less patience for. And I think it's it's one of the things that we experience with another system that we might not mention um, that, that that we played through the year, which is I I don't know how much i meant to engage and how much i meant to switch off because so a lot of the time with like a very narrative game with a lot of chrome on it i feel like i'm not i'm not intended to grasp all the chrome i meant to just like well pick a guy and then pick his like appropriate things and then learn what those appropriate things do i ignore everything else and when it happens to it will be a delightful surprise as it would have been if you'd been attacked by that thing, because you shouldn't really know everything about everything. Right, right. So tr like, al almost almost treating it like a, a sort of the discovery that you get inside a digital game where you can't know all the weapons yet. But of course, you can in a textbook-based rule book where you can analyse all the things. And we've been tr conditioned, a certain kind of player has been conditioned by a certain kind of game to achieve mastery and knowledge and thus victory through you know better learning yeah and it's always that difficult it's that difficulty sometimes when you're playing an rpg and you've got to remember that your character doesn't know what you know like mm. it, like we, we recently played uh, a horror rpg um together earlier this year and one of the things i was struggling with was all of the players know that they're going into a horror rpg but none of the characters know that they're going into a horror RPG. And then it's like that thing of like, stop acting, stop acting like we're in a horror movie. We don't know we're in a horror movie. And it's like, where are you meant to switch that off? And, and Yeah, that was, uh, so that was Alien, the uh, yes. the new Alien RPG that we played. We actually played that in person. Shocking. Yes. Actual face Very delightful. Face. We did a little one shot. One of our friends ran. I think he was expecting to kill us all, but we just, we just escaped. <laughs> well it well yeah well it was one of those moments where he i think he he had to choose what was the most dramatic and sort of and it felt like the the killing everybody would have been an anti-climax because it hadn't been properly set up that's right yeah the, the narrative beats hadn't 
Have yeah, you? whereas the, the Desperate Escape was slightly more narratively. But it was one of those things where we were going into the into so, something had gone wrong and like we're the rescue team and then somebody else is like no let's go off and do this other completely obviously insane thing why would we do that well because the place is full of aliens we don't know that we're meant to be rescuing our friends let's try and act as if we're yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and, I, and I um, do... one thing i really loved about playing that role-playing game in person uh and john john our friend who ran it is uh uh delightfully like grounded in the same old school mentality as me so he brought tons of paper handouts like maps and all kinds of bits and bobs and photos it was so good it was really good speaking of role-playing games the other one i recall playing this year uh was we i I managed to convince you guys to try dungeon crawl classics Mm. because i was really intrigued to play at least one of the vast stable of like um old school renaissance type games i know that dungeon Crawl classics is you know sort of on the periphery of that but i picked up the rule book it baffled me i got some adventures it started to make a little bit more sense and then i ran a couple of adventures i ran that adventure for you guys for my four-year-old and my six-year-old first so that to get a feel for it well, what was weird about that was that that was meant to be a funnel adventure, wasn't it? And I'd heard a lot about these sort of the 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 first, you know, the, the first funnel adventure where you're meant to all get like multiple characters and then one person's supposed to limp out the end of it and then they reach level one with an actual story. And I don't know whether it's because you you're coming from the wrong from a different perspective or you're just not mean enough or we're we were all too cowardly or whiny or something but no one died we got to the end of it and no one died and it was like this this isn't what i was what do we do now do we yeah no i i I honestly i honestly don't know because like what i expected from a funnel is essentially that you guys kind of got pushed down some kind of dungeon and then traps and monsters kept springing out and just unavoidably out overpowering you um, but what actually happened, because the one that we played is um, Hole in the Sky and spoilers for like the first five minutes of it. Like you begin with a situation where you're you're told to walk out on an invisible bridge over the ocean, but you don't know and you aren't told like when the bridge appears and how wide the bridge is and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's just assumed that people just like fall into the sea or like accidentally walk off the side of the bridge, which A is super boring and stupid and and be like any person who's played an rpg is immediately throwing sand and like tapping and stuff like there is an intelligent way to solve this problem and and that's and that's what everyone did they they came up with amusing and entertaining ways of not obviously walking off the side of an invisible bridge are you insane well it also even like i i had a character who i decided had gotten some sort of religious further and willfully walked him off the bridge and he still survived in the end that was oh yeah no i get and i I just did i did the rules for like the yeah anyway but i also think like i'm i'm very much not a i'm not a sandbox gm and i'm not uh an old school like dnd gm so i just don't understand how to run it and i probably just ran it like wrong in inverted commas um I think it's we we still had a good time I, i don't know how much dungeon crawl classics i want to play in the future um it seems to be a game written by someone who bloody loves wizards and is happy for there to be 120 pages on wizards and two on all of the other classes. Uh, but it does strike me that like, well, what about people who are playing those other classes, hey? 
I mean, okay, I mean, talking about RPGs, and this might be sort of taking a step out from what you were thinking of. We, we, hey, it's Christmas. We can talk about whatever we want. Well, we went to Dragon Meat recently. We together, did, which was which was a lovely, um, that was a festive lovely, time, lovely day out. Um, first time I've been to a convention as a as a as a punter in absolutely years mm. um and you um you picked up quite an armload of rpgs is there any of them that you're like excited to try out with us over the next year that you're sort of maybe looking to the future with a bit uh well i want to shout out to yeah so the things i didn't pick up that many the things that i picked up were the book of galm which is a system neutral book of spells uh, basically because the designer has done this incredibly beautiful job with it. And it's very inspirational in terms of like uh, very classical book design mixed with thingies. That's just like a collection of spells. I don't know that what I'll do with it. I don't think anything. I kind of wish I'd had it a year ago when I was designing the Abyssal Gods for um, uh, Hobgoblin because they definitely feel sort of in a similar place. Um I tell you what it made me want to do. You know, you get those tiny little boxes that contain multiple small books. Yeah. Little mini books. I really want to do like a set of a little box with like 12 books, one for or eight books, one for each of the abyssal gods of uh, of Hobgoblin, just with a load of nonsense in them. And that's what this book is. It's a load of nonsense. Like it doesn't have any game rules in it or anything. It's just a load of nonsense. Uh, and it's wonderful. The second thing I bought was the book Unremitting Horror, which I have read and several times as a pdf and just keep meaning to pick up it's just a book of like modern monsters the the premise of the book is every the problem with every lovecraft game or call of cthulhu game is that everyone knows what a deep one and what a mygo is so let's make let's reset the horror and so you just get these really imaginatively disgusting kind of and i, I described it to glenn as liminal horror it isn't technically liminal horror but it's got that like f sort of modern folk monster vibe to it that's um you know there's a lot of like monsters that won't attack you if you don't look at them but if you do look at them you're dead like that kind of you know that kind of spooky stuff sort of uh scp i don't know if it's very very scp yeah, right, yeah that's yeah it's 100 basically scp the role play game which i think is basically what isa terrorists the book that it was converted this edition is converted to work with um yeah and the other thing i got was a hex crawl based on um what should we call it? Anonymous um, Bosch's Garden of Lights. Yeah. Um, partly because I'm investigating hex crawls for reasons, and partly because it was a beautiful execution of taking some old artwork and doing something cool with it. But yeah, so I don't know. That was my haul. Will we play anything? Probably not. I'd like to play some more uh, Trail of Cthulhu next year, maybe. Um, I still want to play a. I still want to play a. Uh, a Warhammer fantasy role play where we go chasing vampires, but we tried playing some Warhammer fantasy. We, we did. I asked Rufus, "Could we go chasing vampires?" And he pushed us all into a sex dungeon with a <laughs> with a wizard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, it was a dungeon. There was a wizard. I don't remember the sex. But... Oh no, no, actually, yeah, no, actually, I do remember. That. Actually, you might have pushed me in. <laughs> no, I mean, it wasn't. I, 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 you, you were put into the room. I was really expecting the GM to back out from that commitment yeah. at some point prior to the, uh, to to the to the final consummation. But no, no, that. But yeah, we we played some we played some Gaslands themed role playing a couple of years ago, and I've got an itch to do some more of that because I've got, 
you know, being surrounded by indie role playing projects at Dragon Meat obviously got the gears turning on um, on on some old and discarded projects and, and unearthing them. Um, so is there, yeah, are there any other minis games you want to quickly round? Oh up? man, I played a few. I played a few other ones. So what else did I play? Um, played a bit of Seven TV. I've been really excited to give that a go, and I want to play it again. Um, we didn't have an incredibly successful first game, but I like the system, and I want to play some more of the scenarios. Um, I played a few games of Adeptus Titanicus this year, uh, which is glorious in its lumberingness. Like it knows exactly what it's doing. I really like the way that the mission system works. Um, I don't think I don't think it's stolen from because it's a fairly obvious thing. But like the way that the Chaos of War tables creates a sort of procedurally generated combat scenario for Hobgoblins, very you know, very much the same system that happens in Adeptus Titanicus, although Adeptus Titanicus does it, does it with a deck of cards. Um, yeah, back to Call to Arms, actually. It sort of felt like, you know, there's a lot of, like, big box miniature games with loads of cards in it. Call to Arms feels like most of the cards, but none of the miniatures, and you sort of buy the miniatures as you need them. Yeah. Um, I'm increasingly interested about, as you say, like, the, the sort of the bloated wastefulness of those and, like, how you can condense all of that density of gameplay into very basic do-it-yourself components and pack it in anyway um and that's about yeah that's about it for new miniatures games we played a few other bits and bobs but um, yeah i mean of, of those of those 7tv again it's one i keep coming back to and i think I, I, we've struggled to get some of the levers to it to work to be honest some of the times when we played it and more and more i think that that's a game that where that i that i want a gm for um mm. If only just for the victory conditions, because I, I think that the, the thing with 7TV is a lot of the time is I want to not have victory points attached to what I'm doing. I want to be told you're trying to do this and you're trying to do that. Those are the things you want to aim towards and then play the game. And then have a guy sat next to the table go, yeah, well, the thing you you did the thing you were trying to do in a more appropriate manner or to a more appropriate degree, you get the win, rather than having to do it like it just doing it with points just doesn't work. It just doesn't have the right motivations for the dramatic scene. Yes, that's interesting. In Actually, my... so it reminds me of the one big thing on the list that I completely forgot to mention, which is I played a buttload of tenth edition. Warhammer 40,000 this year and one of the things that 10th edition 40k has is like each turn the the missions that you're doing kind of refresh and regenerate so to a degree you're like a you're like a cat chasing a laser pointer where what you're trying to achieve keeps flipping from turn to turn and in the previous edition it was sort of there was a there was a joke about like incredibly indecisive generals that just like capture point a no i meant point c no i meant point a no i meant point d um, you have to like totter from one side of the battlefield to the other each turn. Um, but uh, in Perilous Tales, there's these like everyone has three objectives and they're like sequential narrative things where it's like, you know, uncover the ritual, then, you know, destroy the monolith, then call the helicopter and escape. And it feels like uh, that kind of there's a three act structure built in to the card deck of um uh seven tv and it's almost like i really want that to be the way that it drives the victory conditions is like you have to do thing you have to do a you can score for one thing in in act one and then that victory condition goes away and then in act two you have to do a different thing and in act three you have to do a different thing and you could create i think a fairly procedural system 
with with that kind of chaining of like no you don't get points for running away in act one you have to be like in the middle of the table or whatever you could control the narrative i think really nicely possibly possibly um so if there's nothing else to round up from last year. Oh, one other thing one other thing this has miniatures in although it's not technically a miniatures game i played blood rage again for the first time oh, in right. ages only worth mentioning simply because it reminded me how rewarding people for having their stuff killed is such a great and glorious and underused mechanic yeah no and it's a, it's an interesting one and a weird one because it's like in minutes games some people get really annoyed at the idea of rewarding people for having their stuff killed because mm -hmm. it feels like a catch-up mechanic and a way of letting somebody off and yeah. and it's like I, I think something like Blood Rage obviously is, is built it's built like centrally into the theme, you know, you you're you're off to Valhalla and you're being rewarded for it. Um I like the idea of giving people resources when their stuff dies. And obviously it's right there in Gaslands when you get your audience votes, but And in Hobgoblin when you get yeah. prizes for getting deleted. Yeah, I think it's certainly something to I think making deaths a more interesting moment is 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 a is a worthwhile thing. And and I think there's that there's that lovely pivot point in Blood Rage where it looks like you got absolutely kicked in the pants, and then you reveal the fact that it's like aha, and now I get loads of bonus points because I got loads of people killed, and everyone's like ah, and you're like yeah, it's it's good, it's really good, it's a really good game. That lovely, lovely. Um, should we talk quickly about what we have in mind for next year? And then I thought uh, might quickly round up some non-minis or non-tabletop games we've played. Or... Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so uh, things fiddling with for the future. Obviously, um, I've got Puke Apocalypse coming out hopefully around March-ish next year, Ooh. around that timeline. Very exciting. Um, I'm knocking around. Uh, well, I'm hopefully finishing up and, and doing some proper playtesting of a thing uh, called Playlandia at the moment. It's gone through a few different names, a, a co-op um, or soloable, what I consider true co-op as opposed to just lots of people on one side versus the game, um, miniatures game. A collaborative game. Well, a game that you couldn't play solo multi-handed mm. Um to the oh. rather than rather than playing the cooperative version of it because you do get i think a lot of time in minutes games and not saying it's a bad sort of design choice co-op games where i could just quite happily take all of those forces that are on my side run them all on my own and it would make zero difference like the way the game ran and whatnot mm. uh, whereas this is my attempt to do something like you know like like a game like Hanabi or something where you cannot play um solo like with the co-op rule you know with the co-op rules because it has hidden information and mm. limited communication and things of that nature and I'm really sort of liking that um and uh, knocking around uh, borders of black flags into shape for a late 2024 kickstarter um and going back to uh what ho and refiddling with that and getting that working again to maybe be a kickstarter for 2025 nice what what sorts of things mannequin roadmap right there 
Well, I think, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, well, I've got, so I've got uh, an SSO release for next year, and I want to do a Boards and Black Flags release next year, and then what I'd like to do is, like, a card game or board game release and a minis game release on Kickstarter each year for myself, mm. and then put things out with publishers and such, like, uh, that, that, that I can track down. Have you got plans for the of designs that you're working on at the moment? I have many. Uh, I'm going to stay mysterious and taciturn on next year because um, okay. I've got I've got plenty of plans, some of which still need to be straightened out. And I'm probably going to come hot out of the gate in January with some sort of fresh information about what I'm up to. But haven't really pinned haven't really pinned down exactly where everything's going to fall out yet. Um, definitely. So just in the last phases uh uh, what is a couple of weeks ago now um, from when this is going out of putting together, like crossing the final T's on the Hobgoblin manuscript. The, the layout is amazing. I've seen all the like final artwork and final photographs. It looks wicked. Um, so I'm really happy with how that rule book's come out. Uh, I don't know exactly when it gets printed, but you know, we've, we've sent the PDF off for the, for the proofing and the, and the technical checks um, uh uh, a little while back um so yeah that's going to be cool to see that out um and then um figuring out how to support the the release of that and get people um interested in playing it and playing it um and then uh yeah in terms of things coming out uh probably nothing probably nothing in the first half of next year and then um things are going to get interesting i think and obviously pacific command well, that's I'm handing it in. That ain't coming out till twenty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so last time we did one of these videos, and uh, this is in the way of a sort of a roundup, we mentioned some digital games we've been um, playing over the previous year. Mm. Uh, I was thinking about the digital games um, that I'd been playing over the last sort of six to eight months, and interesting. I had a couple of uh, odd conclusions. So two games i've been playing um one was uh, a game called uh phoenix point which is uh, a turn-based uh xcom like and another game was called uh road 96 which is uh, a sort of narrative is really a series of mini games connected together by uh, a narrative about teenage runaways all trying to cross the border of a uh a, a sort of dictatorship state at the same point mm. it's funny and i bring them up because i was just scanning through my my library to see what i played over last year and obviously on steam it gives you the number of hours you put into them uh and i think i think the um road 96 was a around about the 10 hour mark maybe 10 mm. or 12 hours and uh phoenix point e was 153 hours Nice. And I cannot remember a, a, a single like piece of music or specific mo like like really impactful moment or or anything particularly about um Phoenix Point. Whereas there are some real mo there are like moments in Road ninety six that sometimes I I found myself like wandering through the day and it's just popped into my head. Oh, wow. Um, and I think those are possibly a good example. And I was looking through my library generally and realising that all the games that have really stuck with me are down on that sort of 12 hours or less playtime and everything over the 100 hours or whatnot have all just become 
a sort of a, a vague grind by the end of it. It's like I finally finished Darkest Dungeon this year after quite a few hours of play, and it's and it's right up there in the hours. And I have a general feel of the sense of the game, but nothing like as impactful as any of the moments from those much much shorter games. And the other digital game that I played this year that uh, that I was thinking about, and I mentioned to you uh, the other week, was is a game called Dredge. Oh yeah, where you're uh, a sort of a fisherman who goes around and picks up and catches fish. And some of them come out and they're mutant. And then if you're sailing in the middle of the night, you go mad and there are like monsters come out of it. And I was thinking about it because I was reading a review, uh, uh, not reading a review, actually watching a YouTube about horror games generally that said the dredge isn't a horror game. Hmm. Thinking about it, and it's like they they were right. They're right. It's not because you have total control. You can learn all the patterns. I was never scared. It's definitely a horror themed game, but I was never scared at any point playing that game. I, there nothing ever sort of made me I feel sort of afraid. There was a definite horror theme. It was very Lovecraftian. There was like a twist, and there's madness and madness mechanics in it, but. It wasn't. It wasn't a horror game. It isn't a horror game because, like, because of the the sort of the con- total control you have over it and mm. and the way it feels to play it. And I and I have been thinking recently about like horror as genre as opposed to horror as experience. Because um, and tracking this back to Mir's games, I I don't know if there are any horror horror as an experience minis games there's tons of horror as a genre minis games but i just don't know if anywhere i'd say like yeah i just i just don't know if it's a thing the medium's capable of well i what one of one of my one of my notes for a possible rule of carnage conversation is is horror a cursed problem and we might get to this again yeah it, it might it might be for our medium yeah i don't know i have an opinion and i have on the board somewhere a my uh, the typical thing of Glenn trying to answer these sorts of questions for himself. I do when have... he tries to scare children using terrifying miniatures game. Well, no, it's when that, that's not even because this is the thing, and I, I, I mean, we will we I won't go on about this for too long, but uh, you know, I think give us the elevator pitch. Well, I, I, I think the issue with horror in minis games is the same thing that's a problem with like jump scare horror in digital games is mm. it's it's a simple visual fit it's a gag it's i remember reading um a, a guy who designed horror games and he said that jump scares are like if you went to see a comedian and the comedian ran down off the stage and tickled you and went well you laughed therefore i think you'll find i'm an excellent comedian and then bug it off again <laughs> and, it, and it and that's all jump and he was saying that's all jump scares are they're just it, it, the game going just forcing a physiological response yeah you, you can't you can't help it this is this is going to make you twitch there you go right. you jump startle oh, reaction yeah. yeah you know now i i am a good horror game and i think to make a minis game it's why i was talking to you about liminal horror mm. i think tap into something else but yeah right uh, yeah no i to, like, i com- i completely agree like is there some way of making a miniatures game uncanny? Maybe. Ah, uh, yeah. Like I say, I have I have an opinion, but this is not the the time for it. This is a lovely Christmassy, 
round of our year's experiences. Ho, so, ho, 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 Liverpool. Ho, ho, ho. Speaking, so speaking of that, um, I played a bunch of puzzle games uh, when I was a little bit stressed at work and needed things that weren't going to jump scare me because uh, I've been playing been playing Dead Space at the beginning of the year, which wasn't helping. Uh, still lovely. I, I bloody loved that game the first time it came around. The remaster's great. Um, but I played Stray, which has a really good simulation of uh, cats meowing, but like is so-so. The puzzles are fine. The story's nice. Whatever. Beautiful game. It's fine. Uh, Pedestrian, which I sort of bounced off. That's like a, a sort of two-dimensional puzzle inside a three-dimensional environment. That's That was fine. Bounced off it. Superliminal, which really caught my attention, and I just bloody loved um i'm sure that's completely obvious uh and uh, non-controversial to say but yeah the way that it the way that it messes with that medium uh is so delightful and yeah. just yeah just wonderful um that's the sort of like that's the sort of piece of creative work that makes you want to make better creative work regardless of your medium you're just like oh somebody really understanding what they're doing and where their constraints are and blowing the doors off of other constraints um or or imagined constraints that's super good uh, and i played call of the sea which was sort of it was lovecrafty themed and had sort of horrible horror vibes to it but was just ridiculously chill uh, <laughs> uh and very pretty um, but the games that I played the most of, I played a very large amount of Bolt Gun, which just worked for me on every level. Uh, it's a it's a 90s boomer shooter, I think is what they call it. Like um, it's basically Doom 2 with a modern control scheme. And they just nailed the like heavy metal 90s version of um, uh, GW. Like it's all it, it just all feels like a like a bolt thrower album cover. The whole thing is just pitched absolutely perfectly and the writing is really good like the jokes are funny the the little servo skull that talks to you says things that genuinely amused me during the play like you know just off the cuff like you know stuff where you walk into like a you know a, an area and he'll say something reverent about you know about the things that are going on and it's just very funny um but uh i also and this is probably the same as last year i just played like hundreds of hours of elden ring just hundreds and hundreds of hours more of elden ring um, and if I might just sort of wax lyrical on a few things that I've been learning from that, because, my God, this is still like a bottomless learning experience. This game is so incredible as a piece of game design kind of um, education. So one of the things I've been enjoying playing the game in different ways and started doing some speed runs and sort of challenging myself to like complete certain parts of the game or get to a certain part of the game within. And so I kind of began to discover like, this mastery curve of learning where everything is and even though it's a monstrous environment you know we know about those kinds of mastery curves and it was interesting to do it here um and then we started messing about with um a new format which is there's some uh some sort of public competitions using bingo cards where uh you get a, a five by five grid of things that you then achievements that you have to achieve and then you have to go and achieve the most number of them and it was a super interesting meta game layer placed over the top of this uh, complicated game and got me thinking about it got me thinking about how we approach objectives and kind of progression or player progression inside the kind of games that we do um and so i'm definitely kind of experimenting with some things in that area uh, i mean there's there's already an achievement system for gaslands if you care to fish it out of my downloads page um, but i think there's more to do there and there's more to think about in terms of like 
how can your game um inspire and engender kind of meta games to sit on top of it um which some of the bigger miniature games have have managed to do but i think it's much more common in larger player population games like like tcgs and stuff where formats emerge yeah yeah i yeah i, I definitely think that's an interesting thing to sort of fiddle around with and and encourage people to dig into certain bits of the game. It's like I said, I've got a thing in SSO which I fairly openly ripped off of um, Hostage Negotiator, mm. which is like uh, narrative achievements for if you do X and Y because it plays out the beats of a particular sci-fi movie, you get an achievement referencing that sci-fi movie. Um, yeah. And then the final thing that I've been doing recently is I bought the damn thing again a second time on pc uh you know it's 60 quid but like i've definitely got 60 quid out of the playstation version so i thought i'll probably get 60 quid out of the pc version so i started installing mods and um i installed this randomizer mod which moves all of the items and monsters around and so it takes an incredibly carefully crafted sort of open world experience and just scrambles it completely and relearning the game and experiencing it that way has been incredibly eye-opening about about the design and where some of the pressure points on the design are and where randomizing it has broken things and where randomizing hasn't actually broken it or indeed has made it stronger for a certain kind of experience um, and engendered a different kind of experience um, and we've been messing around with the uh, realm of chaos tables only this last week farting about creating warbands i am i guess i'm really intrigued about why roguelike or maybe roguelite isn't more of a thing in miniature games it's quite a thing in board games with miniatures um but i think i'm currently exploring from a design perspective like where there are possibilities to do more of that stuff and i know that reps is one of the things but um yeah i think that's that's got me thinking right well we might we might delve into some of those things in conversations in the future of rule of carnage coming up in the next year um but i think that will do for that little roundup of our 2023 and i'll look forward to our 2024 mm. um to anybody watching you know thank you for having you know stuck with the channel over the last uh year and hopefully um going with us into into the next year we've got sort of things planned hopefully and you know there should be interesting content and, and stuff for people to enjoy um please do swing down to the comment section tell me what you've been playing and enjoying over 2023 and what you're looking forward to in 2024 um and beyond um while you're down there do hit us a christmas presenty shaped like and subscribe um and then swing by the discord and wish everybody um season's greetings do you um, know glenn do you know the origin of the of the term boxing day uh i've probably heard it it hasn't stuck do uh so uh i think it was in the 1800s they invented it and it was tradespeople uh of like rich houses basically kind of fell into the habit of asking for a box which is essentially like a tip on on the day after christmas and it became such a big thing uh that like everyone started expecting them and uh, it became a big um uh convention so much so that they invented a whole name for a day so boxing day is actually based on um uh you know butchers and uh, butchers and bakers getting their little cut at the end of the year 
So if you would like to drop a penny in the old man's hat for rule of carnage, uh, you can do it by uh, uh, going to patreon.com slash planet smasher games for Mike if you want to submit, if you want to support what I'm doing uh, and and in general what we are doing. Um, yep. Or you, of course, you can go to planetsmashergames.com and buy some of my games by following some of the links. Uh, Glenn, how can someone fill your stocking with Christmas joy? I mean, they they, they can swing over to uh, manikinkgames.com and pick up one of the wide range of uh, games and bits and merch. I, I don't know. Maybe I will monetize my Patreon by the time this comes out. I have a Patreon and its link is also... Um, I would say if you do go to Manikent Games, find the link to Kickstarter and follow Manikent Games on Kickstarter so you find out when Glenn runs his next campaigns. Yep, yeah, you know, follow, sign up to the mailing list. Um, follow me on any form of social media, really. Um, I tend to talk a lot about whatever I'm doing, whenever it's happening. So, yes, um, do follow us. Do stick with us. Um, stick with us for the next year. Thank you for being with us for this year. Um, and, yeah, stop by the Discord and say Merry Christmas. But um, for now, and from Rule of Carnage and from 2023, uh, I guess it's a thank you and goodbye. So, goodbye. Oh, 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 oh. Bye. That's such a ham.